0: Well, Merry Christmas. How are you all doing tonight? You good? It is wonderful to see you, wonderful to have you all out here for Christmas Eve. How many of you are ready for Christmas? How many of you are not ready for Christmas? Well, it's here, baby, so, you know, there you go. How many of you think you have the perfect gift this Christmas? How many, how many have the perfect gift? How many of you are kind of hoping you have the perfect gift, but you're really not sure? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right on. You know, I, I heard husband and wife, they, they went shopping in the mall. Um, and I, have you been down to the mall in Temecula? Oh, my God. Like, I, I went down there this morning. If it were possible, I think you could lose your salvation just going down to the mall in Temecula. It is ridiculous. But uh, this this husband, this wife, they, they went to the mall for, for Christmas shopping. And it, it was pretty crazy, um, and, uh, and they got separated, and the wife was kind of more than a little irritated with her husband because they had a lot of work to do, and somehow, conveniently, he was missing in action. So she called him on his cell phone. She's like, where are you? He says, baby, listen. He says, you know, remember when we were first married, and, and, and I took you to that jewelry store here in this mall, and remember, remember that, that diamond necklace that you saw and I, and, and it, you just loved it. And he said, and, and I just, for the life of me, I wanted to give it to you, but I couldn't give it to you. And, and, and I vowed on that day that I was going to scrimp and save and that someday we were going to be in a place where I could afford to, to buy you that diamond necklace. Do you, you remember that day? Do you remember that, that, that jewelry store, sweetheart? And and her heart began to flutter and a tear started to fall down her cheek. And she said, yeah, sweetie, I remember. He said, well, I'm in the gun shop next to that. (laughs) He was not getting the perfect gift, I'm thinking. Well, I want to talk to you tonight about three things that make Jesus Christ the perfect gift. I'm going to talk to you about the incarnation of Christ. I'm going to talk to you about salvation through Christ, and I'm going to talk to you about the transformation that comes for those that will receive Christ. Now, first of all, we start with the incarnation of Christ. And when I talk about incarnation, I'm not talking about reincarnation. You know, a cowboy was having a conversation one time, so his friend, you know, comes approaches him, he said, what what is reincarnation? Cowboy asked his friend. Well, it starts, his old pal told him, when your life comes to an end. They wash your face, they comb your hair, they clean your fingernails, and then they put you in a padded box away from life's travails. Now the box in you goes into a hole that's been dug in the ground, and reincarnation starts in once you're planted beneath that mount. Them clods melt down just like the box in you who are inside, and and that's when you begin your transformation ride. And in a while the grass will grow upon your rendered mound, until someday upon that spot a lonely flower is found. Then a horse might wander by and graze upon the flower that once was you. Thus has begun your vegetative bower. Now the flower that the horse done eat, along with the grass and feed, makes bone and fat and muscle essential to the steed, but there's a part that he can't use and So it passes through and there lies upon the ground this thing that once was you. Now, if perchance I I should pass by and and see this on the ground, I'll stop a while and I'll ponder at this object that I found and I'll think about reincarnation and life and death and such and I'll come away concluding why you ain't changed all that much. Now that's reincarnation, and reincarnation is not true, it's not real, but I'll tell you what is real, it's the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The word incarnation, it literally means embodied in flesh, or taking on flesh, and this is precisely what Jesus Christ did. God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Incarnation. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love the way the New Living Translation puts that verse. It says, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, What's the reason for Jesus Christ's incarnation? This brings us to the second thing that makes Jesus Christ the perfect gift. Not just that he is God incarnate, God in the flesh. That's certainly the first reason why Jesus is the greatest gift. But the second reason that he's the perfect gift is summed up in one word, and that word is salvation. That word is salvation. See, the Bible says all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. You see, all of us are sinners by nature and by choice. Sin is a, a word that, that means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. You take an arrow out, what are you trying to do? You're trying to hit the bullseye. And, and what happens when you miss the bullseye? Well, you're a sinner. You've missed the mark. And therein, in the definition, it implies that you can miss without really wanting to. I mean, you try and, and hit the bullseye, that's what you're trying for. Nobody goes and shoots at a target and tries to miss. You know, some people are, are sort of like, you know, Charlie Brown. They, they, they shoot an arrow and then they walk up and they'll serve, put a serve bullseye around the arrow after they've shot it. Yeah, there it is, you know. But no, people don't want to miss the bullseye. They're trying to hit the bullseye. And so, so the, the, just the, the implication of a sinner of a is that you can miss without really wanting to. And And that describes the plight of mankind, that we have all missed the mark. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You do a job, pay me. You've earned wages. The Bible says that the wages that you've earned from living your life is death. Why? Well, because you're a sinner. You're a sinner by nature and you're a sinner by choice. That's the bad news. The good news is that God loves you. And God does not want you to to suffer death eternally. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to to rescue us, to redeem us. John 3.16, the most often quoted, most well-known verse in all the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life life. A lot of people relate to God as that he's angry, that that God is an angry God up in heaven. He's like, like, you know, my next door neighbor growing up next door. He was just an angry man. He just wanted you to step on his lawn so he could come out and yell at you, you know? And a lot of people relate to God like like my old next door neighbor. He's not that way. He's a loving father. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, on, on that faithful starry night in Bethlehem because he loves you and he loves me and he wants to have a relationship with us. That's what Christmas is all about. Tonight we celebrate the wonderful truth that love has a name and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Isaiah the prophet proclaimed, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, the idea here is not that these are the literal names of the Messiah. What these are, these are aspects of his character. They, these names describe who he is and what he's come to do. You see, in, in uh, Semitic thought... A name doesn't just identify or distinguish a person, it's more than that. It expresses the very nature of, of that person's being. And so when Isaiah says that, that Jesus is wonderful, what he means by that, 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 just that title, wonderful, it carries within itself the essence of deity, in, in, in that it, it, it speaks of, ex, he's extraordinary, he's admirable, he's distinguished, he's miraculous. Well, not only is, is Jesus wonderful, the essence of his, of his character, the character of his being, he is our counselor. In other words, Jesus is the only one who's fit to guide your life. There are people that might give you counsel, that might give you advice, that might, you know, be, you know, that might share with you some words of wisdom. And they might be right from time to time. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. But Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's the one who is the only one that's fit to guide your life and to help you with your problems. Jesus, the essence of his, of his character is that he's the mighty God. He holds the universe together. The Bible says that everything, can, that Jesus holds everything together, everything consists in him. I mean, you take that thought that, that, that every molecule in your body is held together. By Jesus Christ, that's what the Bible teaches. Scientists searching for the God particle. What is it that holds everything together? Because according to the law of physics, everything ought to just fly apart. What is it that holds everything together? Jesus holds everything together. And you think about that. Think about the Roman soldier nailing uh, a nail into the hand of of the one that holds everything together. The very molecules in that Roman soldier's body held together by the very hand of the one He was nailing to the cross for your sins and for mine. He's a mighty God. He is our everlasting Father. And the idea here is that Jesus is the author and the source of all eternity. And he is the Prince of Peace. The idea is that he alone makes peace between God and man. See, the Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And that word mediator, it literally means this. It means one who intervenes between two to make or restore peace and friendship. One who intervenes between two to make or restore peace and friendship. And that's the thing, is that we as sinners have separated ourselves from God. And and God does not want us to live in separation and he understands that there needs to be a repair to the relationship and the fracturing of our relationship is so severe and so deep and so beyond repair that he's the only one that can fix it. And so God, because he loves us, God demonstrates, the Bible says, his own love towards us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And so that's what makes Jesus this wonderful gift. It's the reason we give gifts to one another because we have received such a great gift. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. And we demonstrate that love by giving gifts as a reflection of the gift that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Because he loves you so much he gives his son to pay a debt that you owed that you could never repay. Is a beautiful gift. And the result is peace. He's come to give us peace. He is the Prince of Peace. I don't know if you guys have seen the new Star Wars movie. Anybody anybody here seen that new Star Wars movie? Okay, yeah, so a lot of you. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, My wife has no desire to see it, but because she loves me, she told me she'd go with me to see it. So So we're going to go see it. But um, tonight, we're going to get, no, we're not. But at any rate... But we're going to go see it. Anyway, I understand Harrison Ford's making an appearance in in, in the movie. And and Harrison Ford, you know, obviously that movie made his career that and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all. And He was being interviewed not too long ago, a while back. And the the interviewer was talking to him. And in the course of the interview, Harrison Ford says, you know, you always want what you ain't got. And, And the interviewer's like, Harrison Ford, millionaire, movie star, what ain't you got? Peace. Do you have peace tonight? Because the Prince of Peace came as a little baby in Bethlehem. And he came from a God of love. And he's come to give you peace. And you can have peace tonight. God offers salvation to all who call upon his name. To all who invite Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior and surrender their life to him and to re- re- receive the free gift that God has given to us in, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that God became man and came to dwell amongst us. We celebrate the the, the salvation that we have available to us in Jesus Christ. But as we close tonight, I want to focus for a few minutes on the transformation of Jesus. You know, when we say that love has a name, when we sing that love has a name, We're not just talking about the name of Jesus. Certainly we are. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Love has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. But you know, when we sing about that, and we talk about that, we're not just talking about the name of Jesus. We're talking about your name as well. We're talking about your name and how it connects to Jesus Christ. You know, back in the 60s, As they were ending the, you know, hippie days in in San Francisco area of Haight-Ashbury, as as Haight-Ashbury became a high-rent district, all the hippies began to look for a more affordable place to live. And so a lot of them wound up in in Santa Cruz kind of like a lot of you wound up here in Temecula looking for a cheaper place to live, you know? And so a lot of them wound up in, in Santa Cruz, and, uh, and an interesting phenomenon started to happen in Santa Cruz where all of the schools started to fill up with all of these kids, you know, the children of these hippies, and, and they all had these crazy names, names like Time Warp and Spring Fever and Moonbeam and Frisbee. And, and so... As this is going on, and the teachers are are just encountering all these kids with these crazy names, the kindergarten teachers weren't particularly surprised. One day, the day before Christmas break, when a new kid showed up for his first day of school, little fruit stand showed up for his first day of school, and uh, you know the 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 kindergarten teachers are kind of like you know hey one more you know kind of thing and. you know the the first day of school, when parents would would send their kids to school, they were instructed that they were to put them on the bus with with a name tag, you know, on, on a pin to them. And so, you know, this kid shows up, they're like, "Well, hey, fruit stand, how you doing? Uh, you do you want to go? You want to go out and play with the kids, fruit stand? You, do you you want to you want snack, fruit stand? You want to play with the blocks, fruit stand? You know." And so, this is kind of how it would go and and all and. Hesitantly, you know, Fruit Stand would accept, and by the end of the day, teachers were just as normal calling him Fruit Stand as they were the other kids in the class. It was, his name was just as normal as Jupiter and Rainbow and everybody else in the class. And so now it's dismissal time, and and the teachers are putting the kids on the bus, and they're, they're like, hey, Fruit Stand, which one's your bus? Kid doesn't say a word. And they're like, you know, no problem, kids, kids are shy, you know, it's, it, it happens, it's his first day of school. Hey, you know, we're just going to check the back of your name tag, because the parents, when they're instructed, they would put the, the name tag on their kids, that on, on the one side, they'd have their name, and on the other side, they'd have the place where they were supposed to be dropped off, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? And so the teacher takes the name tag, and they turn it around, and they say, hey, where's your, where's your, where's your, where's your stop, fruit, fruit stand, where, where were we supposed to drop you off? Joshua. The truth is, many of us go through life with the wrong name pinned to our chest. Unloved, unwanted, undeserving, unworthy, checkered past, damaged goods. And what happens is, is when we talk about love having a name, listen, God's come to turn your name tag over. To go from being fruit stand to being Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. It's interesting, you look in the Bible and there's two places where the genealogies of Christ are listed. Matthew's gospel lists the genealogy of Christ as does the gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Matthew traces his royal lineage. They go through Joseph's line and they look at how Jesus has claimed to the throne through his royal lineage. But then you look in Luke's Gospel and it traces his blood lineage through Mary. And it's interesting, both of these genealogies, uh, as you go through them, they're unusual because they have the presence of four women In the genealogies. This was highly unusual. Back in in this day and age. Women were rarely mentioned. In ancient genealogies. And yet they include these women. In these genealogies. And it's very significant for another reason. And a bigger reason. And here's why it has to do with that name tag kind of thing. Because they mentioned. The woman Tamar. Tamar is a gal. Who comes from a very checkered past. Here's a gal she was married to this guy, he drops dead, her brother marries her, which was the custom back then, you know, if you're a woman and, and your brother or your husband dies, the, the brother would, would marry you and take care of you. And, 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 you know, a woman just doesn't have anybody to take care of her if that, you know, if that, if that were to happen, and so this brother, marri- her brother marries her, well, then he dies. Well, now he's got other brothers, but what happens is that Tamar's, you know, uh, husband's father, Judah, refused to let any of his other sons marry her. So she's in a bad place. She needs somebody to take care of her. She goes to, to Judah. He's like, you know, basically, you're out of luck. So what does Tamar do now? she is, She's in a place where, I mean, her life is at stake. Well, she does something pretty unseemly she dresses up as prostitute and she goes out and she goes in the place where her father-in-law judah is going to come walking along and he propositions her and so basically they negotiate a deal and he's like you know i'll pay you sheep or whatever and she's like okay well you ain't got it with you so you know what am i going to get for for some collateral kind of thing Well, he had a signet ring, which was his form of identification, and he gives that to her. Well, come to find out, months go by, and word comes to to Judah, guess what? Your daughter-in-law is pregnant, and he's all high and mighty and indignant, and he says, well, she should be stoned to death. And so then Tamar goes to her father-in-law. She's like, you might want to know who the guy is that got me pregnant. Here's his identification, gives it to Judah. You got to admire her for her shrewdness, but she's got a checkered past. And she is in Jesus's family tree. And the Bible mentions her. Well, who else does the Bible? I know the Bible didn't have to mention her. They could have just, you know, like we do when we've got a family member that we would rather not, hey, you know, oh, you didn't tell me you had a brother. Yeah, I know, I didn't tell you. But the Bible makes a point of saying, hey, here's a gal who's in Jesus' lineage. Who else does it talk about? It talks about Rahab. Rahab was outright a prostitute. She was a Gentile prostitute. Now she did some good things. She helped the spies when they, where they went in and, and you know, helped the guys spy out the land and all, but you know, she's damaged goods, man. Ruth. Here's a gal, she's, she's a Moabitess. She's a Gentile. Put it in modern terms, she's not a religious gal. The Bible says she is in Jesus' genealogy. She's in his family tree. And finally, he mentions Bathsheba. Now, if you are attending here, you know on Sundays mornings, we've been going through First and 2 Samuel, and we just recently saw Bathsheba. Who is she? she she's an adulterous woman. Now, what's the point in mentioning all of this? Listen, what I what I want you to understand, when the Bible includes these names in Jesus' genealogy, it's not approving of their lifestyle. Here's what it is it's an example of God's saving grace. What it's an example of is that Jesus came to associate with sinners, not to become like them, but to save them. And you know, maybe you're here and you know you're like you have said in the past oh, i ain't going to go to church man i'm like you know it's too late for me man i go in there a lightning bolt is going to hit you know kind of thing listen let me tell you if you're in the place where you say hey look that's that's not for me i've done too much hey, i appreciate this whole religion thing it's good for some people but man you don't know who i am you don't know what i've done you don't know about my past Listen, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Lord is good, that he's ready to forgive, and he is abundant in mercy to all who call upon his name. And what does that word all mean? All means all. That's all it means. It means all. God loves you today. I want you to know that. I want you to know it's not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident that we are celebrating Christmas together. And it's not an accident that I'm sharing with you that what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about this one thing. God loves you. And he's made a way for you to have eternal life with him. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God says, I want to rescue you. And listen, what happens... When we do that, God gives us a new name. He gives us a new name. Here's what the Bible says. It says, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the, in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. God wants to write his name He wants to, on you. He wants to turn your name tag over. And so tonight on Christmas Eve, 2015, I want to tell you, God loves you. We're here to celebrate that, to worship him. And if you're here tonight and you've wandered from God, or if you're here tonight and you don't know if this is your last Christmas where you're going to spend eternity, I would tell you that you can spend eternity in heaven with a God who loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son on that first Christmas back in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago so that you might live. He knows your name and he wants to give you a new name. Will you let him?